0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who helps others navigate the challenges of getting your farm up and running. We're talking with Michael Kilpatrick about starting your new farm. Michael is a farmer, presenter, host, inventor, and online entrepreneur who lives to help farmers apply business principles and practical proven solutions to grow their businesses and de-stress their lives. He has managed large certified organic farms and businesses, consulted for industry experts, and spoken at dozens of industry conferences. He is the host of the Thriving Farmer podcast and summit series, Visionary and Educator at Growing Farmers and a farmer at The Farm on Central. Welcome to the show today, Michael. Are you ready to rock?
1: Hey, Greg, absolutely.
0: Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Yeah, so my path really started when my parents moved us to upstate New York in fall of 99. They were kind of trying to get out of the city before the whole Y2K thing might happen, and they moved on to eight acres. So that was kind of the start. And then we started with some animals and rapidly shifted over to grazing vegetables just because the profit margin was so much better. And that was the start of our our farm business and the kind of my start of my really deep love of growing all things.
0: Wow. How cool is that? So you got it from your parents.
1: Well, they kind of gave me the catalyst or the opportunity. Um, Actually, my parents really had no idea what to do in farming. My dad was a physician and working at a small family practice in Vermont, which is right across the border. Mm -hmm. And he had no idea about it, but he was incredibly gracious to kind of let us experiment and to loan us our startup funds that first year.
0: Wow. So interestingly enough, in 1974, we moved to a house here in Phoenix and- My mom looked at, my mom knew I was interested in gardening and farming. And she said, Greg, see the right half of the backyard? That's your garden. Go start digging. So we kind of have a little bit of the same roots. I love that.
1: Absolutely, yes. Parents who believed in us and let us take the next step.
0: Yeah, exactly. So- are you all self-educated in this arena?
1: Well, I was very privileged to have a lot of great mentors. So obviously, yes, lots of books, lots of hands-on experience. I had incredible mentors, Paul and Sandy Arnold, who are 30-year industry veterans, happened to be 30 minutes from our farm in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to work with them. I was very privileged to work with Elliot Coleman on a couple oh, things. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. I was able to consult with JM Fortier, which gave me access to kind of seeing his farm and a lot of the things he was doing. We kind of came up to help him with efficiencies on wash and pack. And, you know, obviously once you're consulting with someone, you get to see a lot of the inside of their business. But, you know, really just being able to build that farm and we were very unusual because we were quite young when we started. And so I think a lot of people were really open with information and it really allowed me to just basically pick the collective brain of organic farming and just regenerative farming in our space. I was also very privileged in 2012 to intern for Joel Salatin in, at Polyface Farms.
0: Wow, nice. How was that experience?
1: It was absolutely incredible. You know, with when you go to any farm, there's all sorts of aspects of it. And so it's really interesting to see behind the scenes. So obviously you see like when you see videos of his place or hear him speak, you know, everyone's like that's that the one side of Joel. But Joel is just the same charismatic person when he's on the farm as well, you know, in the woods, cutting trees down and, you know, moving cows. So it was great to see that aspect. And, you know, I happened to meet my wife there as well, which was super cool as well.
0: Whoa, no kidding. Wow. Well, so we've had Elliot Coleman and Joel on the podcast and Mm -hmm. they're both amazing pioneers in this arena. So good on you for being able to study with them, man. So we're here to talk about starting your farm and what makes you so passionate about working with farmers?
1: yeah, so one of the things when we had our farm in upstate New York is we were able to build a quite profitable farm. is our farm had twenty employees, we managed uh, several hundred wow. acres. Yeah, although the acreage we only farmed actually 14 acres for vegetables, so that's where 98% of the profit came from. Mm -hmm. But we were able to, you know, invest in the business, uh, take vacation, even in the summertime, you know, take a couple weekends off. And when we in 2015, my wife and I had a child, and we wanted to be back near her family in Ohio, so we decided to lease out our farm in New York. And what happened is within 12 months, the folks that took it over bankrupted the operation. And I was blown away by that because they had been handed um, beautiful soils. At that point, we had accumulated 30 acres of prime river bottom soils. They had great team. Our team kind of transferred over to their farm from when we had the previous farm. They had great markets. We left, you know, a very large hole in the local marketplace that they just moved right into, but they still bankrupted that. So really started to be my my wheels turning, and I started to really research the whole industry and realized that there was a huge problem, is that only 5% of farms last more than five years, and of those farms that last, only 5%, that's their sole source of income. The other 95% of farmers are getting off-farm income, and I'm not saying that's completely wrong, but I don't know a lot of farmers that really want to have to, you know, work all day in the field and then go work uh, the third shift someplace or have one spouse off farm. Um, That's not usually what they want to do. And so our vision, is to help farmers be profitable and help them build sustainable farming systems so they can build the life that they want. And again, that life is whatever they want to envision. So if they want still want to do that part-time income, that's totally fine. But our goal is to help them build that, what they want to build. And so that's why we focus with farmers to help them start and build their farms. And the thing is, if you have a great foundation, that is where you get so far ahead. We've worked with some farmers who literally in the first two years are cranking out almost $200,000 on an acre or two acres, and that's because they started with the right foundation and built the farm the right way. And so that's why we're really passionate about the starting, because when we can start with folks, we can really help them make sure that they're not spinning their wheels, that they're investing their money in the right location, um, the right infrastructure, and not go burning out.
0: Wow. So were you able to figure out why that farm that you turned over to these people failed in a year?
1: Yeah. So it, it comes down to that. There's two aspects of it. First is we kind of divided what farmers need to work on in their business in five areas. And only one of them is production. So the other four are you as a person, they need to understand who they are because each of us is so different and each of us has different strengths and weaknesses. And you've got to really cater the farm to what those are. The second is your business model. There's so many different models out there, and if the wrong model for either you or the market you're trying to go into, it can be really challenging. Then the third is the systems and teams, and the fourth would be your marketing. So when kind of looking at an autopsy of this farm, which was really tough because it was was my farm, and just to kind of like go back in and look at it and and do a a post-analysis on it, is they did not manage – team well at all. And they did not have the right business model. So they tried to change up the business model. They tried to get in over, they tried to do 10 acres their first year. And I highly encouraged them not to, but they decided to do that. And so of course, because they didn't know how to manage that size of a farm that made them just spend large amounts of cash in places that it was actually, basically they spent money to grow crops. They couldn't harvest and B couldn't sell. And when you're in that place, you're just basically burning through cash. And so that was a big challenge and they couldn't manage their team and the team all left within six or eight months just because they were not great to work for.
0: Oh, wow. So I I hear you on not taking off too big of a bite. And in fact, my whole question for the podcast about your failure has Mm. its roots in a farming business that I started in 2004 and we started too big. Mm. You know, we took too big of a bite and we didn't make it. And we didn't make it because we took too big of a bite. Yeah. So I completely get that. So what kind of challenges do farmers face in starting a farm?
1: Yeah. So a lot, it depends on who they are. We see like three different types of folks that try to start a farm. One, they've already got some experience and they've they've started from working for somebody else and now they're going out on their own. And actually that's one of the best ways to start because you really can't buy experience. Um, even you can read all the books, you can take all the courses, you can hire me to work with you, but that is not going to give you experience. The second part is someone who, you know, midlife crisis, they want to transition to farming and they have money to do this so they can actually, you know, buy some of that experience. So that's always really good. And then the third and the hardest is someone who, let's say they get out of college and they have, you know, college debt and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't like what I'm doing. I decided I want to farm. And that's the hardest aspect because not only do you not have experience, but you don't have any money. You've got a lot of debt over your shoulders. And so that's literally the hardest way to try to start your farm. But, you know, the first two, is not saying it's easy, but it's a lot easier because you can leverage uh, that experience or that capital to kind of move your farm forward.
0: So we have got this idea for farm and we're starting to grow it. Things are working. Now, what about scaling up? You know, we talked a minute ago about taking off a small bite rather than a big bite first. I suspect that's part of it.
1: Yeah. So scaling is, is comes in, in stages too. So when we work with farmers, we actually assign one of five stages. And so what that allows us to do is easily identify where exactly and what they need to focus on. So there's the dreamer stage, the start phase, the grow phase, the thriving farmer stage, and then the the uh, mentor stage. And so usually in those first three stages is where they're still trying to scale. Once they get into the thriving Stage. Yes, they may scale an acre here or an acre there, but it's not the same type of scaling. It's not the hard slog getting that flywheel going. It's more like, oh, we're going to enter a new marketplace. or We're going to add a new crop. But let's go back to the, the the first three stages that are looking to scale. So a lot of farmers, and this goes back to taking off too much more than you can bite, is sometimes farmers. Say, I'm going to start with a quarter acre. They do that great, and they're like, oh my gosh, this was so easy. If I want to increase my income four times, I'll just do a, an acre. But what they don't realize is that going from a quarter acre to an acre means you're changing systems, you're having to hire people, you need a lot more capital. And so that is where frequently they get tripped up and it really gets to be a big challenge. And so what we like to see people do is never try to double production more, uh, do more than a double of production. So rather than a quarter acre, don't move more than a half acre unless you have a really clear system and process in place and you have, let's say, experienced help that can come in and help you manage that. So if you have someone that's already got a couple years and is going to come in and help you manage that, I think you're okay to do that. But when you're scaling, I think the biggest thing is to realize when you're bringing people in, those people are not going to be on your systems. And so really building out the SOP or work instructions so that when someone comes on to work for you, they incredibly know exactly what they're supposed to do and how you want them to do that.
0: Wow, you have thought this through very well. How long have you been doing it?
1: Yeah, so we've been working with farmers since 2016. I mean, before we actually stopped our farm in upstate New York, 2013, I was speaking, doing the speaking circuit. So Mm -hmm. we were doing around the country speaking, but really the full time of working with farmers started in 2016. And you know, we we still do that today. I really enjoy that one-on-one working with folks because I can see the massive change as they kind of scale their farms.
0: Right. And what would you just dis- say to someone thinking about starting a farm? Like where do we start?
1: Yeah. So the first thing that to get clear on is what kind of farm you want and your capacity too. So we kind of mentioned, you know, what kind of training you have, what kind of background you have. So really get clear on, okay, you know, I've done this kind of internship or I have this kind of capital that I can set aside for that and to get clear on what type of farm you want. So there is literally so many types. I mean, Greg, you've got a smaller backyard style farm. I've worked with farmers that immediately want to hit 15 acres just wholesale and write to like three different wholesalers certified organic. And that is a totally viable business model. It's it's a tough model, but it can be done. Or someone who wants to get a couple thousand acres and range cattle. I mean, that can be done too, but that is also a very expensive side of the farm and, uh, just operation to get going. So you have to get super, super clear on what kind of farm you want and then the mechanics around that. So what are your costs? What are your profits? You know, what is your competitive advantage to any other places in the marketplace? So it's really getting clear on the business before you actually start growing something. But then also Greg is you've got to have the right property too. And so this is so key. I've seen so many farms fail if they want to grow vegetables and they get on pure clay soil. It's just so difficult. Or if they want to range cattle and they're on a sand pit because in the middle of the summer, it dries up, they lose all the grass and they're out feeding the hay and that gets very expensive very quickly. So making sure you have those three things, I think, you know, right plan, the right experience or people and the right production is going to be really kind of the the three things to figure out as you get started.
0: Wow. And you've really, one of my big takeaways so far in this first 15 minutes of our conversation is you've really thought through all of this and you're well-educated in this, so you would be a good person, if somebody was interested in starting a farm, to reach out to you for mentoring and for courses.
1: Yeah, we actually, uh, for this part, we actually put together a course just on this because that was so important to us. And um, we've had, you know, hundreds of people go through it. But that the reason is, is because we see farmers every year uh, start up. They spend thousands of dollars, and then I see two years later, them sell all that equipment and get out of farming because they've been disillusioned. Mm-hmm. You know, they thought that that model could work, and you know, I hate that aspect of things. And I've also seen families destroyed because of this, Greg. It's awful. Yeah, a great farmer that I visited. Actually, my wife and I visited him on my honey, our honeymoon. We were, you know, we took a tour of the South. We we went to his farm to visit for a couple a day, and you know, we wanted to work because he had an incredible production system. But I just recently touched base with him. And and he and his wife had gotten divorced. He didn't really see his kids anymore mm-hmm. because he had literally focused his entire life on his farm and so he had burnt out and it just had caused so many challenges with his family. So I that just that's what keeps me up at night is thinking about those kinds of things and realizing we just need a better way for farmers to get education and to get training so they ask the right questions and they don't make these mistakes and uh, you know sometimes farming's not for you. So we had um, someone join one of our programs. He was with us for a while. And then he says, you know what, Michael, I've realized something. I've realized that farming, like you, what you're talking about is not for me. He says, I need to be a homesteader and I need to keep my off farm job and just do it in the nights and weekends just for me and my community and not try to be you an know, active seller of it. And I was excited. You know, I processed right. cancellation and I was like, you know, Chris, good on you for figuring that out because I don't want that stress on your family. And I don't want you to then become disillusioned and go and tell people that you can't farm on a small acreage because, yes, you can. It's just not for me. And so um, that's the kind of success story is that, yes, he never he never really farmed. But the success story is that he figured out what was right for him.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's so, so huge. We have to. Be, and the, the, this is a big reason I do this podcast is to uh-huh. help people discover what lights up your heart. What uh-huh. do you want to be doing and contributing to the world? The most important thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like bees. Some people say, oh my gosh, you can make $10,000 a hive and then realize that, oh, maybe they're allergic to bees or B, they just get really freaked out by being in the suit. So it's just things like that, that people, and I guess I would say it's go intern, go apprentice, go try it before you decide to dive in. That would be a, a great piece of advice that anyone should do before they get into anything new.
0: Yeah. Big, big takeaway from this conversation so far. Go well, apprentice. So you're on a new farm. In fact, we pushed this podcast back three months because three months ago you weren't available because you were moving into a new farm. What prompted that, man?
1: Yeah, Greg. So, I mean, I don't think it was the whole pandemic, but I'm sure the pandemic had a little bit to play with it. But um, we've actually been looking for land for the last three years. And it's, it shows you how important having the right piece of property is that we took three years to find it. But, you know, yes, we have an online business. And yes, I love working with farmers. But I also have a two young kids and we'd love to have more kids. We have a three and a five year old right now. And I want to be able to spend time with them. I don't want to be stuck in my office eight, 10 hours a day working with farmers. And yes, we'll still do that more of a group setting, but we wanted, to, we wanted to actually be on a farm, have the production aspects so where I'm outside working in the soil with my hands and the kids can just be hanging out with me. And so that was part of the reason. And I don't, we didn't actually think we were going to be at the scale. we are. We thought we were going to be a lot smaller until this piece of property popped up. And literally Greg, you know, it was an act of God that we got it because it wasn't even on the market. Our
0: realtor called
1: us and said, you know what? I don't even think you guys can afford it. And we definitely really couldn't. We able to made it work, which was, uh, another, you know, mind blowing thing. It took us three months to figure out the financing. We got it figured out, but it was, you know, an eight acre property in an urban environment with an 18, yeah, with an 1890s house on it, which my wife and I literally like are suckers for old houses which is, you know, it has the original stained glass door on the front, Greg. It's uh, it's a really unique property. And yeah, so it came up and we walked it. And Greg, you know, when I look at farms, there's so many things I'm looking for. And this checked, I think, like 25 out of the 30 boxes. And it's rare that a property will do that. And Mm -hmm. only the, the boxes it didn't check were because it checked other boxes and it couldn't check both. Like, I can't have a farm in the country and also be in the city. So, you know, we were in the city, but it, it's it's a really cool opportunity because it's in I would I'm not going to call it a food desert, Greg, but it's pretty close to it. I mean, the local grocery store has, you know, canned goods and the the produce section's really really poor. But it's in a town of about 5,000, very blue collar. They all work at the local mills or just in more trade. There are some farmers in town, but it's a it's a community that needs local food. You know, the line around the DQ locally is at night, it's 20 cars long. Wow. It blows your mind. Yeah. So our goal is literally a thousand yards from this DQ to open a small farm shop. And we'll have you know vegetables and fruits and you know local meats, and even we'd love to get into prepared foods like offering like local teas and you know things that people can actually come and grab and carry out and eat uh, that's gonna give them great nutrition, you know, not this uh, this food from a box or a food from a Cisco truck mm-hmm. that we see line up there every every day, but food that actually came from their community grown in the soil and that has a story. And the thing about this, Greg, too, is we literally where we are right here or within. 35 minutes are almost a million people, 800,000 people. And literally, we have houses surrounding us. So it's also a great opportunity for agritourism of getting people on the farm to learn about their their food and that this is a viable business. Because, Greg, when I grew up, I was told that you could not start a farm and be profitable. I was always told wow. that, look, it was the thing that you did the nights and weekends. You, you couldn't make money at farming. And so I wasn't planning on being a farmer until I, I kind of started it. And I just like the first year we were like officially farming and we had a really great mentor, Eric, who had a farm in Vermont and we made a thousand dollars at one of the markets that summer, oh, and wow. I went home and I told my parents. I was like, "I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a farmer because you can make money at this, and it's so much fun to feed people and see the, them light up and and know that the food you're feeding them is going to the feed their kids and make strong, healthy children, and that the, the parents feel safe with you. And that's an incredible level of trust that you're you're feeding you know the people's children. Oh yeah. So you know that was kind of the thing. And you know my grandparents were farmers up in. May. Maine. My grandfather, he was a, a butcher and his parents had horses and they raised, you know, the was, there was classic farm in Maine. And, you know, he was several times told my parents, the kids do not want to be farmers. You don't want to be farmers because they won't make money at it. And my parents were wise enough not to share that information with us. But what they were wise enough to say is my, my grandfather died from cancer. He is uh, an incredible Rapid cancer took him in just a few months. Mm-hmm. But what they shared with me after that is they said, You know what? This is what your grandfather said. And then they said, He came to us a couple months before he died when he saw what you guys were building. And he says, You know what? I am so glad that they didn't take the advice and that they are doing what they love because he says, I see that there is a path forward with the way that they are doing it. And that just, you know, that's something I always think back because I really loved my grandfather. And he, you know, he was a great. Um, he was more of a stoic man. He was more reserved, mm-hmm. um, but he was always interested in what his kids were doing. He was always trying to help us in whatever way he could. So hearing that from him, but kind of going back to you know building that farm is just you know I we feel that yes we need to educate farmers, but we also want to educate just those around us. And what better way than build a farm in the city, um, which of course has its host of issues. I mean. We're having to have development meetings with the, the town that, as we build out the infrastructure because of the zoning ordinances and all of that. So it's, there's a frustration level, which I wouldn't get if I was in the middle of nowhere. But it's also an incredible aspect of being able to invite people on and just walk the farm and you see their eyes light up with, oh, my gosh, this is possible. And, uh, you know, where their food comes from. You know, eggs don't come from eggplant. And, you know, uh, the grocery store. Yes. And ketchup doesn't grow on isn't packets on a plant. It comes from tomatoes. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. That's kind of what we're excited about. And, you know, the other thing, too, is because we're educating is we get to share every step of this with the people that we're working with, the farmers that we're working with. So we do a new enterprise, we break it out for them. We get to show them the behind the scenes exactly how it worked. You know, recently, one of the things we did this year to build community was we grew a cover crop on our field that was sunflowers. And everyone was like, why are you growing sunflowers? And I was like, well, there's a couple of things. You know, they've got a great root system that can actually draw toxins out of the soil, which is fabulous. Uh But they're also one of the prettiest cover crops. And uh, we were also trying to get into the community, let people know who we were and build our email list. So what we did... Is we put you know some video out on Facebook and some posted in the local groups and ran a few ads and actually signed people up to come out and take uh, pictures of the sunflowers and buy sunflowers and we had over 500 people visit our farm this summer wow. in a three month period, a three week period, uh-huh. and they got to you know harvest sunflowers, take pictures. They had to give us their email to come, which meant that we built our email list. Yep. We actually earned uh, my wife and I tallied up a thousand and four dollars. Off our cover crop.
0: (laughs) Nice.
1: So, you know, yes, when you add up all the expenses and stuff, it didn't pay for, like, all of our time and stuff. But it absolutely paid for all our costs Mm -hmm. for the sunflower field. And it put us on the map. We got Facebook reviews. We had 175 people check in at our farm and give us reviews. And we are now in basically a location in the community and people know exactly where we are and who we are because of that. And so that's the kind of things that we're doing and we're sharing with our our people that we're working with, farmers we're working with, is like, look, here's another way to make income. You can grow a cover crop. And you can make money off of that. And I feel like we've only begun to tap that aspect of the the sunflowers. Um, I feel like next year we can probably easily 4X or 5X our income from that with some new strategies that we've kind of thought up on after we kind of ran the, the, the program this summer.
0: Plus there's the added benefit of, given that you're having to deal with a municipality about zoning and that kind of stuff, you're pulling people in from the community to make them your friends.
1: Absolutely. So, Greg, that was absolutely a key aspect of it, too, is also we got three of the city council people out to come visit the sunflower.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yes. So we have at least three of the five who are, you know, gunning for us and, and, you know, pushing us any place they can. And the other thing we did this fall was we did a pumpkin, little pumpkin patch on the side of the road. We didn't grow any pumpkins. We ended up buying them in and people like, well, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, again, I just want the community to recognize me as their local ag area and to get them to come back out to the farm. And we ended up having our city or town buy their fall decorations from us. So again, that was another way to interact with them and to get them out here to see what we're doing and that No, we're not gonna pollute the environment. We're not gonna bring in a hog operation We're not gonna do this stuff, which is going to turn the community off. We're gonna build a, a Community aspect of the farm and, and yes, it's not a community community farm But there are absolute massive community aspects where we want people to come out We want people to walk the farm and just experience the peace and the beauty of you know, actual working farm.
0: Yeah, well, and anything that you can do to put a shine on your space that connects with the community is huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And part of that, Greg, too, is, you know, a disadvantage is that because we're a very visible farm, we have to be incredibly careful with how we build the farm out. Like one of the things we did just the other day is we drove around because now the leaves have dropped. People can see a lot more onto our farms. So we drove around and looked at the farm from different angles to see. Is there anything like, you know, that looks kind of trashy? It looks like yep. this. So we're like, oh, we're going to paint that a different color so it will blend in with everything else. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more work. It's going to be more expensive. But I feel like if we continue to really work really hard at that, that when we go before the city for our zoning variances, because we want to add some pigs and chickens, which aren't allowed in our area, um, that they will not be like, sure. If they, we know because they've taken such good care of everything else that they're going, to be a, they're going to be responsible. and We are willing to entrust them with that variance.
0: Yeah. Excellent. So you actually teach this. So if somebody was interested in learning how to be a farmer through you, tell us about your farming education programs, because this is so important.
1: Yeah. So we've got a couple different things and the best way, if you're starting, or even if you're you've been farming for a little bit, we have a program called the start your farm intensive and what that is that takes you through, you know, as we said, figuring out your idea, figuring out your marketing figuring out your simple business plan, then working through the funding side of that, you know, figuring out the finances and finally going out and getting funding if you need it. Or if you're going to self-fund, just getting really confident that you're actually going to make money at this. So if you just go to growingfarmers.com forward slash start, that's, that's basically where we recommend everybody start. And then after, you know, after that, we've got additional other programs. We've got deep dives into like lettuce. So if someone wants to grow lettuce in anywhere in the world, we've got a great program that walks them through that. And we also have, you know, a a course on farmer's markets. So if people want to learn how to vend at farmer's markets, Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, if they go through our program, we can help you double your sales. So, we've got, yeah, we've got a couple different things. I mean, our growingfarmers.com website has a bunch of different, we have some assessments there. We've got a great amount of free resources, ebooks. And then, of course, Greg, you know, your podcast is fabulous. We also have a podcast, which you've been on, the yes. Driving Farmer podcast. Yep. And that's where we really talk about the business side of farming. So, yeah, we talk about production aspects and how to grow this and how to grow that. But it's really about how did you build this farm business? What were the steps? You know, kind of what are your the challenges that you went through? to make this farm work for you.
0: And that is so important. These, uh-huh. I've said for years, the single most important thing we can be doing right now is figuring out where our food comes from and how to grow our own. And you uh-huh. are rocking it. Thank you so much. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it.
1: Whew, Greg, I have failed so many times. And (laughs) I I think, you know, that's part of the aspect. If you don't realize you're going to go into farming and fail, then you have, yeah, then you have, um, then you need to recalibrate your farming uh, idea. I mean, there's some very specific times I failed, like the time that I sent an employee down to our kind of uh, materials place where you had all the farming materials and told them to use a specific fertilizer. And there was a mislabeled fertilizer and they ended up putting an elemental boron down instead of Chilean nitrate. Yeah. It killed the row of Tomatoes cost us thousands of dollars, you know, and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's a simple aspect of looking, okay, how did the breakdown happen? Did I not instruct them properly? Did I not write it down? Was the product mislabeled in the in the building? Did I not? And so one of the parts was, okay, we need to segment all the different amendments and have them incredibly clearly labeled. And when someone goes to do it, they have a written instruction that basically says, you're going to grab this, this many pounds and put it down at this rate. So those are some of the specific things. Kind of the bigger overarching aspect is, you know, don't try to start growing a crop before you know you can sell it. You know, it's one thing to say, you know what, I'm going to grow all these vegetables. And they're like, oh, I'm going to be growing these vegetables. And how am I going to sell them? You know, one of the things early that we did on our farm was way too much overproduction. And, you know, if at different stages in your farm, let's say you're at the thriving or mentor stage of your farm. If you're overproducing, let's say things like greens, because you know that your production costs are minimal. And if you just hit the market, right, you can make massive profit. That's fine because you're at a stage in your business where you can afford to do that and take that little bit of a gamble. But at the beginning parts of your farming, the dreamer and the start phase, if you grow way too much, you're turning under incredibly expensive compost. And I've seen that. I've done that. I mean, there was times where we would turn under a half a field or just it wouldn't get harvested because we didn't have the storage space. And you know, one of, the, one of my employees one time you know, at the end of the year is like, you know what, can I just write you a letter with some feedback? And he did. And I was, I was totally okay with that. I appreciated that. And that was one of the things he shared is like, look, I feel like sometimes we go out and harvest too much and you grow too much. And if we actually scaled that down, we would actually be a lot less stressed. And that's true. We love to have a pull method of the, that aspect of the, of, uh, of sales is, you know, people are pulling the production instead of us trying to push it to them. So I think to kind of do like recap that, you know, the failure I've made is not planning, and not being able to know the sales aspect and then really as you grow and have a team being in crystal clear with how you want things done and what the expectations are and label things so that people are know what they're doing and how they're to do it.
0: Another huge takeaway and not one of them, but another huge takeaway here is this is a business, absolutely not a garden project. Yeah. So if you're going to take on running a farm business, you have to run it like a business. And that's where you said there were five components. One of them was growing. The other four revolve around how to run a business
1: absolutely and i mean enterprise budgets i mean um, separating your finances uh, actually having a professional email and a professional website you wouldn't believe how many farms are you know still um, running their finances out of their their home account which is not only <laughs> you don't you don't get really clear on it yep. it's a danger if you go for tax liability you can get in trouble there and it's also a danger for if someone were to sue you I mean, mixed finances, it's all, it's all sorts of, of, uh, scariness with the IRS and the legal system. So yeah, I mean, it's running like a business, opening that bank account, uh, separating the finances, knowing what it costs you and divorcing the emotional side of it. So, you know, if you have a, if you have a, let's say you have a small dairy herd and a cow isn't producing, uh, you've got to kind of retire the cow and move along. We had a a farmer here locally, the best milk we've ever had. I mean, she had incredibly high quality milk, but half her herd was retired cows and she couldn't make any money. And, um, you know, I got so frustrated. Uh, I obviously wasn't there talking to her about this, but my wife and I would chat and I would just get so frustrated because I said, I can see the potential. I see that she could have a thriving business, retire her her family and really make a go of this. But because she's putting on that emotional side and way too high of costs in her business, you know, Mm -hmm. not managing the cost side of your business. And it's always better to manage the cost than try to go out and get more income because it's, uh, yeah, it's less, it's better to have less money going out than have to go try to find more money to come in. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff that really moves that needle forward. And if you don't run it like a business, you're going to fail.
0: Yeah. When you said something really important early on, earlier in this conversation, and that's that don't grow something unless you have it sold. My friend Jen over at Gotham Green, she and I actually went to college together. Okay. She told me one day, she said, Greg, everything that we plant from the seed stage is sold when we plant the seed. And it was mm. like, wow, I'm getting chills just sharing that with you. That yeah. is like huge And you can do that. That is absolutely possible. Go out and make friends with three chefs. Ask them what they want you to grow and grow it for them.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and with that too, like we're starting a mushroom operation, Greg, that's the first enterprise we're starting because we realized the profit potential, there's not a lot of competition in our area. And unfortunately we're a little bit at the hard time of year because our marketing plan is to work with uh, local CSAs at a mushroom share to their business. Uh And right now mushroom, uh, um, CSAs are starting to slow down. So it's a tough time of year. It's just kind of how it's things. So we're actually going to be dialing up and and growing a lot slower because of that. But we're also going to be you know, heavily pushing to some chefs here locally to kind of fill in that gap. But yeah, we've been doing market research now for months and, you know, figuring out and having all these, uh, the, we have a list of all the restaurants we're going to be working with. We have a list of all the wholesalers and the other CSAs that we want to be talking to. And we've already talked to them about, you know, this is what we're trying to do. And this is, and they're all, you know, ready for us when we go uh, get ready to start marketing. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing we're working on is trying to really figure out you know, where are these mushrooms going to go? And then that comes back to, because if we can get a premium price for these mushrooms, then that's going to mean we're profitable from day one and that's going to allow us to scale a lot quicker.
0: Absolutely. Wow. You are so full of great information. Thank you. So what do you consider your biggest success?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, Greg. I think, you know, on one aspect it's, you know, we, we did the farm in New York that was, that was highly profitable. You know, a part of that on me is like, uh, you know, we didn't end that well. You know, the farm there, you know, kind of faded because it wasn't managed well. So that kind of ended up being a little bit of disappointment. But then you also realize that unless that disappointment had happened. We would have never ended up doing what we do today, which is serving farmers all around the world and helping them grow successful, profitable farms. Um, you know, I, I think when I think about my greatest success, I look at people like Orion. He's out in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska. I mean, literally, you drive five hours from the Denver airport to his place, and the last three hours is cornfields. And this year, he Doubled his income on his farm. And last year he doubled it as well. And we had a call mid-summer. He's like, I need to invest in some infrastructure. You know, what do I need to invest in? But it's one of those things of working with these people closely and seeing them build a, b- the business of their dreams and the farm of their dreams that they can stay home and be with their families. Because that, to me, is, is we're losing that family farming. Um, so that's what's so important to me. You know, uh, Brendan, he's a farmer down in the Durham Chapel Hill area. This is his second year. He's doing incredibly well, multiple six figures. And he's involved in the family as well. So, you know, being able to see him bring his family and and share pictures of that, of how they're making that work is just uh, that to me is my greatest success is seeing these farmers um, succeed and taking those vacations. Because that's something that so many farmers can't take is they vacation on their farm because, A, they haven't built their team out. They haven't built their systems out. And, B, there's just no money. So when you have the money, you have the team, you can have the freedom that a business should give you. And that's what I think would be, I would consider my greatest success.
0: And it goes back to running your farm like a business. Yes. I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I've been self-employed since 1974. I've had over 30 businesses. Some of them lasted a sneeze. Some, two of them have lasted over 20 years each. And the key piece to my success all and failure all along the way, Uh was I running it like a business?
1: Uh Yeah. Look at every single part of it. And is this generating profit? If it's not, why are we keeping it around? And if it obviously is a, like a roundabout way you generate profit, then great. But if it's not, it needs to go.
0: Yeah. And what drives you?
1: Yeah. I I think what drives me is, well, I'm a, I'm a super high D personality and, you know, also an Enneagram three. So I have to be the best at what I do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I think it's just partly how I'm wired, but uh, I just get incredibly excited about figuring out new problems. And that's kind of what a business owner is is just mm-hmm. figure out new problems all day, every day. As well as I just loved, um, I believe that the way we are going to reverse the climate change we're experiencing and the way that we are going to change our world, is through farming and agriculture. I believe there's a way forward through that. And so that's why I'm so passionate about small-scale family farming and regenerative farming is because putting that carbon back into the soil is going to be a key aspect of how we move forward. And so part of it, Greg, of doing the mushroom operation is the mushrooms kick off every block of mushrooms after you fruit it has an eight or 10 pound block of, um, of carbon. And what we're going to do is we're going to take those blocks of carbon, we're going to turn them into red, to the red wigglers, which we're going to bring in a bunch of worms and build yep. a worm operation, and then produce vermo compost. And so, you know, yes, we're going to make money off the mushrooms, but we're also now dumping carbon onto our farm. The other thing with that cover crop, that cover crop, yes, it generated income in our community, but it also uh, turned thousands of pounds of carbon back onto our soil. And so when we think about farming like that, we think about, you know, building that soil, which is going to create a better quality crop. Then we can realize that, you know, a farming aspect is we just got to figure out how do you monetize the carbon sequestration? And that's how you make your money.
0: Wow, man, you got this figured out. Maybe not completely, but... We're we're working on it, Greg.
1: (laughs) We're working on it.
0: (laughs) So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: Yeah, Greg. So, you know, there's a ton of books out there and a lot of the books that I've actually worked through and really found helpful been on the business side. And the problem is there's not a lot of books that bridge the farming and the business side, but that is actually one of the books I am going to recommend today. It's a book called the Organic Farmers Business Handbook. And again, it's not just for organic farmers, it's for any farmer out there. It's by a farmer who I've actually had on my podcast and actually met and we've talked personally called Richard Wiswall. He's a farmer in Vermont. Um, been doing this, you know, 30 something years. And just what it does is it breaks down for you kind of overviewing, thinking about your farm business and the different aspects of it. Talks through some major efficiencies, which he sees for farmers. Um, he talks about, you know, uncapped potential that people that in the marketplace that people aren't thinking about. Because so many farmers think, oh, I just need to grow vegetables and sell them at a farmer's market. But Greg, there's so much more to farming than that. Right. Um, there's, They're selling to other CSAs. I mean, we made a lot of money, and that's one of our income streams for next year, is growing wholesale for other farmers. And that's what we actually did this year. This was our major income for the farm this year, is we grew a half acre of winter squash and wholesaled it to one other farmer, customer. And, you know, Greg, I got less than retail for it. And people are like, oh my gosh, you got less money than you would have gotten for it. And I was like, gladly. I didn't have to market any of that. Yeah. Literally, my marketing took less than an hour, and I was able to get a check for $7,500. Wow. So, you know, that kind of thing, too, can be profitable if you know your market and if you know your margins on that. And, you know, the biggest thing for farmers is, yes, they don't mind coming in. And this farmer actually came in and actually planted Uh, actually laid the plastic and the fertilizer for me. And then all I did was manage it throughout the whole season. But you know, I didn't have to invest in massive amounts of equipment because we were able to have him do that. I just did the hard work of management, harvest and bringing it to his farm. And so all he had to do was offload it right under the scale. We got the tear and then he wrote me a check. (laughs) So There's so many different versions and opportunities out there. Uh It's about thinking outside the box and how can you solve a problem in the marketplace and then people pay you to solve problems.
0: (laughs) Love it. And the name of that book again was?
1: Yes, The Organic Farmer's Business Handbook.
0: Awesome. 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 And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Yeah, Greg, I would say start small. You know, go out there, apprentice, intern, try it. Even your backyard, your windowsill, you know, try it. So before we started with mushrooms, we did it in our basement. We built ourselves a janky. And if you go to our actual Facebook page, there's a video of my daughter actually standing and talking about our, our, you know, hobo mushroom setup. And uh, we tried it. We tried on a very small scale and make sure we liked it and make sure we were, you know, able to do that. Um, so try it small and then reach out for support. I also see farmers feel like, you know, I can do this all on my own. And, you know, Greg, I can't, that's why I'm more than happy to pay for others' expertise, um, to do the work, to read the books, to ask the questions. You know, sometimes it can feel embarrassing to ask the questions, but I find if you don't, you're going to make the mistakes. And I'd much rather, you know, Ask the questions, get the great input, then spend thousands of dollars and then be like, oh, I should not have bought that. I should have bought this other thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, much rather take a little less personal pride than lose a couple thousand dollars. So yeah, yeah um, you know, stay hungry, start small and ask for advice.
0: Wow, Michael, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for all that you're sharing.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, Greg. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh my gosh, let's do it again because theres I know there's so much more that we can explore. Uh-huh. How can our listeners find you?
1: Yeah, so the best way is probably to just go to www.growingfarmers.com. So that's our main website. We've also got the thrivingfarmerpodcast.com, which is where our podcast uh, lives. We're on the social medias too. So just growing farmers on Instagram and Facebook. And then if you want a real special experience, just follow me, my personal profile on Facebook. I, I post a lot there and we have a lot of interaction going back and forth. And I share you know, behind the scenes
0: of what's going on. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.